Hello and welcome to the Emperor's New Podcast, where we explore every corner of the Emperor's New Groove franchise. I'm your host, Micah Hirsch, and today I'm being joined once again by the famous Kyle A. Carosa and the great Luke Ski. <laughs> did, did I get a new adjective? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you are television's Kyle after all. So you're you right, right. Kyle, yeah. That used I, to be that used to be a joke. Yeah. And then um, I got a TV show. Well, but now to, it's retro. And today's a very <laughs> today's a very special bonus episode where we're talking about the bonus disc on the Ultimate Groove Edition DVD of The Emperor's New Groove, which I believe came out in May 2001. Yeah, it, it is surprising to me that there is a major piece of Emperor's New Groove media like that that do, you didn't own before we decided to do this podcast. Yeah. Uh, I the, Here's the thing. Um, so we were going to order the movie... Uh, for some reason, it didn't cross our minds to look on eBay, so we looked on Amazon, and it was $50 <laughs> on Amazon. You didn't get it on Amazon, did you? No, I got it on eBay for $50. Good, good, because it's so much cheaper on there. Like, But like, my so, dad was like, like, no, we're not getting this. We're just going to get the 2005 one. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Um, well, I mean, like, as far as, like, owning the movie, this isn't the one to own. But, like, this bonus disc is, like, worth the price of admission, in my opinion. Um, but... Yeah, this, this well anyway, this is this is a piece of media that's like very important to me because, you know, I was like you know, I, I wasn't like fresh out of college, but I was like maybe like one year into into my actual career when this came out and just like getting to see this okay. amount of be- behind the scenes of making a modern animated feature uh just like right at my fingertips, I thought was really great. Uh now admittedly while I knew that the movie had started out as Kingdom of slash in the sun uh you know now now in the past looking in it's like okay we have the sweat box the sweat box explains all of that stuff i am glad that this still exists to give us lots and lots of information about the actual production of actual emperor's new groove yeah and i noticed um they do there is like one very small section that has like concept art from kingdom of the sun yeah um, where they, but they just go like, this was an earlier version of the movie that we didn't end up using. They don't go in, you know, all the details of, and w- one thing I want to bring up is in the making of, Mark Dindle's like talking about the origins of the movie. He's like, well, I want to make this movie about like someone in law, and they, I was going to be a kid alone, but they said, no, we, that's too similar to something else. I was like, no, this is just a plain old lie. <laughs> it's like, I don't think that that, like, that was ever that was never brought up in like any th- other thing I've heard about the production of the Embers New Group. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it might be something where he might not have even bothered pitching it because he knew that Lilo and Stitch was there. I've been in situations like that yeah. where it's like, okay, I have this thing I want to pitch. Oh, they already have this. Like, you know, for example, like Nickelodeon in particular, if they have something, if they are already producing something with a cat in it, they are not going to want to see any pitches that ha- that star a cat. Damn. Um. <laughs> It's rough out there, bud. <laughs> hey, well, there. The they have the menu on the thing, and you have like two ways to go: studio groove and animation groove, basically. And so they start off with the story where he tells that story that um, I'd never heard before until now. And then Dindle had way too much sugar cereal before recording this thing. <laughs> yeah, Dindle's like <laughs> I should mention it has an it has like intros and intermediate segments with like introductions with Dindle and um randy fulmer i believe his name is the producer yeah this. see now one thing i would say like right from the get-go where they have that whole bit where 
you know, uh, uh, Mark is distracting a, you know, the, the front desk person or guard or whatever. Yeah. So that, 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 um, that Randy can sneak you in, uh, and you know, the back way and give you the whole tour. I just kind of feel like considering, you know, P Patrick Warburton's involvement, not only in the Emperor's New Groove, but also in so many other things in Disney parks and Disney features, they, why didn't they just pull him in to like do a bit where he's like the security guard yeah. they have to get past? Yeah. <laughs> because fact, that costs money, Luke. Yeah. That costs money. Fun fact, um, even though it opened, you know, after the movie was already out, Soren was being like put together and stuff as the Emperor's New Groove was coming out. And the reason that Patrick Warburton is the um, flight attendant on Soren is because of his role in the Emperor's New Groove. They liked him so much in that that they brought him on, said, it was going to be John Travolta originally, and I'm glad it, we ended up with Patrick Warburton. Um, it was going to be yeah. John Denver originally, but um, no. Muppets <laughs> um, 3D with John Denver. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like that kind of thing happens more often than not like I think more often than we're than we're told, I still think that there's like a connection between John Goodman being there for both Emperor's New Groove and Monsters Inc. Yeah, it, it is, it is certainly you know, uh, plus possible. It does seem certainly otherwise very strange that there would be two Disney buddy comedies two years in a row where John Goodman is put alongside a uh, SNL. Uh, and like uh, I was, I don't know if you've ever seen like the. Uh, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas test footage with Frank Welker doing most of the voices. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> like, I kind of wonder if he was just there at the studio doing something and said, hey, Frank, come here for a sec. We'll pay you. <laughs> <laughs> we tripped over Frank Welker and decided to put him to work. <laughs> yeah. That, um, Frank Welker was mentioned in the previous episode, so it all connects. Um, Make a note, Lee. <laughs> yeah. so, inside jokes about other <laughs> podcasts hey they uh make a transformation and so there was the transformation that they don't really bring up a whole lot about uh they talk about brainstorming and you know just like basically just goofing off until you come up with ideas <laughs> it's what it they paint it as anyways. Um, yeah, it's not like that at all, is it, Luke? <laughs> no. That's what, what I was gonna what I was gonna bring up is so not obviously not counting the part where everyone's goofing off because clearly that's for show. Um how does like the storyboarding in like a Disney movie in the two thousands compare to storyboarding a Cartoon Network show in the twenty tens? Well, well when I you're when you're a storyboard ahead, revisionist, when you're a storyboard revisionist, the boss lets you do whatever you want. You have all the power and you can just make whatever decisions. Look, there was a reason I referred to you as the most powerful storyboard revisionist in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So the difference between uh, doing this for a feature and doing this for a TV show is that in general, for a TV show, you have an outline or a script and you're expected to stick to it. And as long as you do so, there are going to be like some minor changes afterwards, but more than likely it's going to be essentially that. Uh, with a film, because there's so much money and so much overhead and stuff like that, uh, it's going, you're going to like see it mutate a whole bunch until it finally, you know, comes out the way it does. And that's now, how we ended up with the movie we got. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, with some of these, the they're, you know, much smaller 
uh, differences between the pitched version and the final version, but you know, there are always going to be big differences, but not usually a kingdom of the sun to emperor's new groove difference. I don't recall one that changed quite as much as that one guy said, uh, sweating bullets. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, you know, when you are boarding for a feature like this, you're like, I'm sorry. You let you, you kind of like should expect like a, wh- a whole lot of work to get thrown out, uh, less so with the TV show. Uh, although that also depends on pr- from production from production. Like I did two boards for Fish Hooks, uh, perfectly following the outline, and both episodes were replaced with uh, episodes that have like a couple of things in common, but were like had complete clearly had completely different outlines. And I don't know if you had any connection to this, but you know who was in an episode of Fish Hooks? Like a lot of people. <laughs> yes. Um, I believe Patrick Warburton was an episode of Fish Hooks. Well, it is a TV show, so that makes sense. <laughs> Patrick, War- Patrick Warburton is in everything, basically. At some and point. anything he's not in, he should be in. I speculated that if 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 time continues linearly through infinity, that Patrick Borton will show Patrick Warburton would show up in everything. Yeah. Yeah, we couldn't get him from Magisword, so I just had to do Patrick Warburton. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they brainstorm ideas, they come up with like different gags and stuff, basically. And then they do the storyboard pitch and there's one storyboard pitch where 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 in which an alternate version of the movie where we do apparently see Cusco's dad. Um, he just snaps his fingers and he's carried away, and Cusco becomes emperor. Um. Yeah, and I gotta say that doing storyboard pitches is possibly one of the funnest things about being a storyboard artist on a show like Magiswords was because um, myself and my partner, who when I started, my partner was uh, Zoe Moss who later went on to work on both Animaniacs and uh, the forthcoming Cuphead show. Um, and then my other partner was uh, John Barry, who uh, I, I know he just worked on uh, Arlo the Alligator Boy and um, uh, the Adventure oh, uh, Time Trippy Gospel. Show. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> the Adventure Time Trippy Show. If this was our podcast, we would name the episode the Adventure Time Trippy Show. Uh, yeah. Midnight Gospel <laughs> and other cool, awesome stuff. So, but anyway, yeah, it's, so it's like we each have, you know, half of the episode to board out for an 11 minute episode. So we're each doing five and a half minutes and we're following the outline. But, you know, when it comes right down to it, uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, jokes we're doing get uh, it's like, you know, we don't get to be <laughs> we don't get to be the fly in the wall watching all these people watching the episode air on TV. We, the, the laughter we get is from the people in the pitch room who it's, that's how you really know these jokes are working. And so it's just it's so fun to get to perform all of the the voices and really spell out, you know, here's what, you know, you know, this happens and then boom, and then stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. You know, just like, yeah, Yeah. just all those great bits and the the opportunity to sell your own jokes. Yeah. (laughs) So, so yeah, just, it's like, and watching the, the, the behind the scenes DVDs of this, of just watching the three versions of um, perfect world, of of, Perfect of, uh, perfect world, just to see, how many hand-drawn drawings they did just for like, th- like watching it, like speed along. It's like, how long did it take them to draw that? Like to draw this card that has part of the hat coming up, which is clearly drawn and inked in in full color just for them to like, f- like literally have that <laughs> baton 
like whiz by it, <laughs> you know, to go on like the next like seven stages of hat moving in and then it lands on Cusco's head and then his finger. Cut. It's like, wow, that is so much work. <laughs> like even as someone who has done it, looking at like non-digital storyboards gives me agita. Yeah. So, and then they take the storyboards and they animaticify them. <laughs> they put them they on a reel. They smash them with a hammer! <laughs> yeah, they put them on a reel and they time them to either scratch voices or um, the voice actors, depending on what scene they're doing and what what stage in the, in the story they are. Um, and I'm going to reveal a secret about my animations. I uh, actually, because I'm cheap and... I like to speed things along. I, the storyboarding, animatic, and rough animation for me when I do it is kind of all one thing in my videos. <laughs> well, well, you well, know, then, sometimes well, when you're the only boss to please, that's what you do. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I am literally storyboarding something right now while recording this. Awesome. Uh, so, play out. They get these people, uh, they get a bunch of the um, people working on the movie get them in a room they lay each person um down um one person's you know head is touching another person's feet and so on um until the entire room is full that's not what layout is um <laughs> layout is basically no, that's human centipede a little different <laughs> yeah layout is basically like the backgrounds and the placements of things from my understanding the placement of the characters in the backgrounds and the coloring of the backgrounds um, before they put the animation and stuff over top of it and um there's lots of interesting talks they talk about like the color each like different characters have different colors assigned to them and when they're a, the dominant character of a scene the entire like scene is different shades of that color like you know any scene where Yzma is involved, there's a lot of purple, <laughs> for example. Yes, it's true. <laughs> um, I love that, and this isn't really, they don't really talk about this. I love that, like, there's scenes in this movie where the background is, like, just, like, a, like a, a, a spotlight, and that's on, like, a, a blank wall or something, like, in the secret lab, especially, like, when Yzma first goes in the secret lab, it's just, like, really dark purple behind her, um, and then, you know, there's stuff in front of her, but... Yeah, they're they're very good at knowing when to go and minimalist with the backgrounds. Like there's enough there's enough features on them so that they you know they are clearly a fully fledged background that should be in a Disney movie. But uh, they give like when the, when there isn't background there isn't a whole lot of background necessary. It's not there, and they just let the characters pop in the front. Yeah. Uh, like it, it's kind of like you know thinking about my my the the off my most oft referenced scene i think when talking about like breaking this down as a film like the uh one where uh there's uh, Kronk is setting up the uh Cusco's head uh statues and then Isma is bashing them with a hammer um the it's like you have just the amount that's necessary it's like okay this is raised there is like this this gray background that both fits the mood and completely like stages what's happening here it's like anything more is going to make this less funny so let's not do it yeah and like um i love that like you know you've talked about also like and this isn't really involved with like the background or anything but like the the um exposition in that scene like that's the scene where we find out that yzma raised cusco um 
Yeah. Uh, you think it would turn out better. Uh. <laughs> yeah, go figure. Um, yeah, yeah uh, that gives you a real insight into like what Cusco grew up with. Yeah, and, and like, uh, but as far as like, you know, doing something visually interesting during exposition goes, uh, I would bet money that Mark Dindle has seen this particular scene that also does this exceptionally well. There's an old 40s live action movie called Hell's a Poppin'. Uh, the whole thing is available for free on YouTube if you want to check it out. There is a scene where they have to do a bunch of exposition. And so all of the characters are like removing arrows from these targets while somebody with a crossbow is shooting arrows that just miss them. <laughs> yeah that is funny um and also yes that like i could see that i well i don't know about the actually arrows hitting people be, uh, not hitting people missing the people because that would be hard to pull off but i could see like that working really well in like a stage play too where like they're taking that kind of thing speaking of which <laughs> um someday there needs to be so i would love to see any like whether it was like a musical which you know would be difficult to do because it works so well not as a musical or like a state uh, like show like at a theme park or something i would love to see any version any like emperor's new groove related thing on a stage would be cool um, i mean i feel like if they could do a beetlejuice musical and a spongebob musical they could probably pull off emperor's new groove uh i just don't think you know as a not musical that disney put out that it's probably on their top 10 list yeah and then we go on to the well. Scene. I was to to follow up on that. It just the the fact that the Emperor's New Groove isn't a musical except for uh, except for Perfect World to me kind of yeah. makes it seem like like actually actually when I finally over this past year heard the soundtrack to the Beetlejuice musical and like what they did with it, I'm like, oh, this is such a fun, great idea and a direction to take this whole thing. It's like it's very you good. Know, like like you know, Cusco being the narrator of his own musical, <laughs> and and. <laughs> you know uh just preferably find other like you know get the get the lopez's to do the music or some you know <laughs> okay, here's here's the next scene we see uh disney asking sting hey uh <laughs> we want there's something we want you to do do you want to write a bunch of songs for us oh sure for the emperor's new groove musical <laughs> <laughs> and then the next scene is them asking dave yazbeck <laughs> can you imagine like yeah the lopez's are like maybe lin-manuel miranda doing like an Emperor's New Group musical and like what like the what just like what perfect world would look like on Broadway like what would like in a in a in a perfect world what would perfect world look like on Broadway um, that's not really or they, or they could fresh off of Mary Poppins Mary Poppins returns they could get Mark Shaman yeah because <laughs> he has a great history as well should talk <laughs> so the next part is the part about this that intimidates me the most the animation <laughs> Uh, and that that's the thing like uh, i assume i assume micah that you went through all the like the character sections and saw all the pencil tests yeah uh seeing that just like done with just pencil just analog uh kind of mind blowing in it <laughs> yeah yeah it's like how <laughs> like i know how but also how <laughs> practice yeah, it's like, goodness gracious, these people have been doing this for, like, so long. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so they talk about, like, the, you know, they have a whole thing on there where you can watch all the line tests and um, set to music, of course. And one of the line tests is just, like, skeleton, Cusco skeleton, basically, not, like, bones or anything, but, like, construction lines. 
um, you know, a stick figure basically dancing um, to his theme music of the scene where he dances and he does all the anachronistic dance moves. Um, and there's some like prototype Cusco's in there that aren't the final it, design. Yeah, there's some really kind of freaky looking Cusco's. There's like one with like a big, big nose and buck teeth and like. <laughs> there's like, the something uh, about Mary Cusco. Yeah. <laughs> with the crazy cat. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes um and it almost seems like uh going back to our previous podcast episode like the the emperor you know from the past that they're talking about has a character design kind of similar to some of these Cusco designs yeah it is like and that that's something i I could just bring that up now if we wanted to <laughs> sure um so there's one character i the, this isn't like the video part this is like one of the galleries where you're looking through like designed for miscellaneous characters. There's one that's like a parade drummer and he looks like he must have been like Mr. Malaguaco, the teacher from, played by Curtis Armstrong from the Inversion School's like um, relative or something. <laughs> and then also apparently in the uh, opening scene originally, there were Cusco cheerleaders as well, which I found interesting. Um, I'm wondering if they if they like said Cusco Cusco Go Go or something, but probably not. They probably just cheered a perfect world or something. But the name of that scene is "It's All About Cusco," according to the uh, treatment that it comes with. Um, so that was really interesting, seeing like these designs that sort of they sort of seemingly have taken and you know tell, made them you know more television budget appropriate uh, for the series, um, kind of like I already like the series but it kind of gave me a newfound like uh interest in like the behind the scenes of what went on with the tv series because there's not a lot of information yeah. out there um which used to be how it was it used to be like you could find out the full behind the scenes story of whatever movie but uh for television animation it just like wasn't it just didn't have the same clout and so nobody did it that's that's kind of uh, changed a lot in in recent years yeah uh where you know you might you might actually be able to see a coffee table book for your favorite television show and find out all this inside information and you know now of but course there's I podcasts think, and things yes and i do have um at some point i'm also going to interview this person uh one of the followers of my personal account at Mike Hirsch on twitter um is uh was a storyboard artist or still is a storyboard, but was a storyboard artist on the Emperor's, a few episodes of the Emperor's New School. So that would be fun to have them on sometime. Um, anyways, back to the DVD. Uh, <laughs> so they talk about special effects, which is like basically anything that's not a character or a character, basically anything that's just not a character is like water, um, you know, the bubbles that. Uh, Mark Dindle used to have the anime before he became a director. Um, Hashtag Dindle Bubbles. Yeah. Um, the, the, like when they're, they're on the log and pieces of it break off, that's an effect. Um, all the, anytime there's a potion, there's a poof of smoke, which something I didn't bring up. Uh, sometimes when Cusco changes, there's no poof of smoke the first time. And, and he transforms slowly. And every other time it's instant and characters like, sometimes characters will lose their clothes or like most of their clothes or something. So even within the movie, it's not consistent. So I don't really care if the TV show is consistent or not. <laughs> Anyways, back to uh, this. Um, uh, I, I thought, I thought the uh, separate little feature about the, uh, you know, regarding special effects, like the CG 
like yeah. objects made to look like they were 2D. Like I, you know, I absolutely knew that the the log that they uh, you know float down the the waterfall in was was a CG element, a very good you one. Mean like, but uh, I could tell that it was one. But the, the cart, I had no idea. Yeah, the log scene, aka potential ride scene number like what three in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I'll t- yeah, I'm gonna do a whole episode at some point where I just like list all the possible ideas I've ever had for an Emperor's Big Groove attraction, um, and I'm hoping to get some special guests on that one. Um, so they, yeah, the the car, yeah, they. That's the thing. Every Disney movie at this time that has CG in it, other than this, the CG they wanted you to know it was there, like especially like Treasure Planet and like Atlantis and stuff, they want, they like made it super obvious that this CGI on purpose, you know, cause like, Ooh, it's the new thing. Um, the Emperor's new group. There, there were, there were some, there were some where they, you know, it wasn't necessarily supposed to be on blast, like say Goofy's car in a Goofy movie. The Goofy, that's <laughs> another one where it's like, you know, that was, that I'm more talking Walt Disney, uh, feature animation, like the, you know, animated canon type movies. But yeah, like that and like this are meant to be cartoons. Um, so they want it to look like a cartoon, the whole the whole thing. So uh, Sorry, I just went into a trance thinking about the uh, crowd software in Hunchback. <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah, I, when I first watched, the first few times I watched that movie, I didn't notice, like, <laughs> but like I've watched it since, especially like when in high definition, you really notice that... <coughs> Yeah, I made the mistake of seeing a behind-the-scenes special before seeing the movie, and all I could see were the friggin' very obviously I, CG crowds. I don't know if the behind-the-scenes special they, that, that they released uh, around the same time the movie came out is the same one that's on the DVD, but I just want to like mention this as a thing that exists. On the Hunchback of Notre Dame DVD, <laughs> there's a behind-the-scenes feature hosted by Jason Alexander, and at the end, it's implied that Mickey Donald Goofy beat the crap out of Jason Alexander. <laughs> Like, like, that's something like, that would actually happen in the Paul Rudis shorts. Yeah, like, like, like. All like, right, we're taking this mook down. He is like, 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 Goofy, you get his legs or something. It's like, oh my. Family um, Industries. So, I'm going to talk to Neil Roberts, this guy. So that was something that existed. Um, <laughs> so then they move on to color and another, like, they have very specific, like, software that lets them color the lines. I'm sorry. Can, can I? We, can we jump back to Hunchback for just a second? Sure. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I just Wrong remembered podcast. something. I'm. I, I'm. I'm so sorry, Micah. But it, okay. okay. <laughs> so the whole notion of post-credit scenes wasn't a thing back in you know 1996. So people would just leave, you know, as yeah. you would expect to, as I did when I saw. Unless Hunchback. it was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, yeah, but but even in that, you had a whole scene with Ed Rooney and, you know, yeah. him chasing his car and getting on the bus. So people still had something to watch. Yeah. So there was still something there that kept them to the very end. So anyway, the point is, it, you know, months later, you know, it's on VHS. I have it on at home and I'm in my apartment during college and I'm, you know, doing stuff around the apartment and the movie ends and the credits are playing. And I'm not even really thinking about it. And then from all of a sudden from here, from behind me, I hear, get out, everybody. <laughs> And I turn around, and the the TV screen is blank, and nobody's there. And I'm like, "What the hell just happened?" The Jason ghost of I, Jason Alexander. And then I rewound the tape, and I saw they stuck this thing with Hugo at the very end. And I'm like, "Oh, 
yeah, they do that again with Hercules, with Hades. Like, everybody gets a happy ending but me. Well, duh, you're the bad guy. Um, it's a Disney movie. Um, oh, by the way, uh, like, the thing you talked, you were talking about with, with Jason Alexander said about uh, Mickey Donald and Goofy beating him up. The exact opposite happened when uh, Gilbert Gottfried went on Arsenio Hall to promote Aladdin, where he was heard to say, I kicked Mickey Mouse's ass and that <laughs> punk ass Donald Duck. <laughs> which I only remember because my dad has been referencing and it ever since that then. Does, um, Gilbert Gottfried is very briefly in an episode of The Emperor's New School as a oh, new really? voice. Oh, cool. cool. There's an episode- I remember on the on, on one of the Aladdin DVD special editions where they had a uh, interview with the voice cast that took place on the stage of the theater at DCA where they used to have the Aladdin musical and Gilbert comes on, you know, and it's great. And like, they, someone asked him a big leading up question, you know, which basically the point of the question was like, oh, did you have a lot of fun doing this part? He just goes, no. <laughs> and then just like, let it sit there for like a good 15 or 20 seconds while the audience is laughing their butt off. It's like, yes, thank you, Gilbert, for doing what you do. <laughs> and then you know the sound and um they have uh mark dindle do all the sound effects <laughs> <laughs> that was that was like a wackiness on high that i thoroughly respect that was great <laughs> um and, and another thing i wanted to mention about this whole dvd in general the bonus disc is there's a lot of wacky sound effects and editing and shtick that's going on and like between like literally every take where like somebody's talking and then they need to cut to another person, they put like a very brief um, line from the movie that somehow ties into what was just said, you know, if, if they could find yeah. a correct line. And as I started watching it with Kyle the other day of uh, like after a few minutes, I was kind of like, wow, this is so, you know, pretty much annoying. And then I realized, oh, wait, this DVD is designed to get young children to see it and to hold their attention long enough for them to learn all this stuff about animation. So maybe they'll want to get into the animation True. industry or something. So then I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess this all tracks. Plus, you know, I'm certainly very guilty of uh, of being stupid and wacky for the sake of stupid and wacky. <laughs> and that, if this were... That would also be a title if this were um, your podcast. Um, Stupid and Wacky. Yes. I'm John Stupid. <laughs> and I'm Theodore Wacky. <laughs> we're Stupid and Wacky in the morning. <laughs> so before we get on to more features, I want to talk about some features that aren't on um, this, uh, that just don't exist, that I think I would love to see if they <laughs> ever like wanted to. They never will, but if they ever wanted to like do an anniversary for like- It's time for What's the Feature? Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah the, basically the equivalent to that. Yeah, um, audio commentary with the, like, what's, you know, who's left anyways of the characters <laughs> in character, you know? <laughs> like, I feel like maybe with Cusco it'd be redundant, but like with Kronk, I want to hear like Kronk's, like, I want to hear anecdotes behind the scenes from Kronk. <laughs> All right, I guess we're going to watch this documentary called The Emperor's New Group. I'm told him in this. <laughs> just like, like, just add to the fourth wall, you know, meta-ness just to like have like. Now, it would be funny to have Cusco do it because then we'd have Cusco interrupting Cusco, interrupting Cusco. Yeah, that, that would be, yeah, they could do that if they could. We would they, have Cusception. If they could manage to actually get David Spade back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, getting David Spade bad, I think it's just a matter of you pay him money and he comes back is basically it. I mean, 
<laughs> came back it's, for it's a effort. little bit easier to make it happen now. Yeah, I mean the the direct to sequel budget, you know, uh, for for Kronk's new groove, it's like okay, we can get David Spade in. I for think it was bit. contract. I think he has like a contract where like he's only in the movies and you know interviews about the movies and stuff. Like I think they wanted to avoid a Robin Williams situation, so they in advance cast someone to be him when they don't want to have to pay him. Because mm. <laughs> JP Manu, the guy who plays him in the TV show, voiced him like since like when the movie was coming out in like video games and special features like right in, in the Kronk's new groove there's a, a dvd game that he um that jp manu does instead of david spade even though david spade is in the actual movie um anyway here's a good place for, here's a good place for this question um i uh there is i'm pretty sure it would probably be the the last or near the last produced uh content for the for uh disney's house of mouse i think it was a christmas thing where they're cutting oh, people man. on the street and they're like oh what do you want for christmas and they have Cusco llama going like i want to not be a llama anymore and that was it so like that was the most current disney reference in in, in the history of house of mouse yeah, that was jp Manu. yeah <laughs> um and he's been in uh, a couple episodes of the actual tv show house of mouse as well um I think only one of them he actually had a line in though where um uh Ludwig von Drake says bring it on and then Kuzco says my line. Um <laughs> is the House of Mouse always weirded me out. Like what like I know that I'm overthinking it, but like when's the timeline of this all supposed to be? Because nope, is- nope, nope. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's not how this works. Like why is why is Lumiere so happy even though he's still a candle? <laughs> See, I would love it. It's like House of Mouse ended, you know, just before like Pixar started. Well, probably a couple of years, but anyway. Well, before, but like, I would love, I would love to see a continuation of House of Mouse just to see how many other characters from all the other, you know, IPs like Pixar and Marvel and the Muppets. Like, would they would they bother to go that far with it? You know? I don't know. They, they at least general... wouldn't dodge television characters. Yeah, they had a yeah. general rule at the time that they like only once ever had a television character on. Um, think pepper Ann's mom was in like one episode that's a joke <laughs> um that's so specific yeah which yeah <laughs> so if they did like i think they would definitely like um it ended like right at the time lilo and stitch came out so i think lilo and stitch would be in it they might try to incorporate Pixar characters they would definitely be the 2d versions the question is would they get patrick warburton to be buzz lightyear <laughs> probably <laughs> What else did I want to talk about? Uh, they show split screens where they have like the storyboard and the rough and all that, um, you know, with the final version. I um, would love to watch this entire movie in pencil test, but then like I would like to watch most animated features in pencil yeah. test. There well, was a Beauty and the Beast you... laser disc that uh, had built in production progression for the entire movie. You could just like press the angle button and it would switch from board to rough animation to finished. The closest thing I can think of, and it isn't like even remotely close to that, uh, is the alternate universe version of Into the Spider Verse, where there's where it's like an extended version, but like the certain scenes they didn't finish, so they have the storyboarded version in the middle of the animated movie mm. uh, pop up. Oh yeah, 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 yes, I remember that. That's the closest like I can think to something like that. I've never actually seen like you can now watch the entire rough. You can watch the entire storyboard. What if you could watch like. They have like every single pitch and they film them all 
uh, not all of them ever, but like all that ended up in the actual movie and then stitch them together. Like watch the movie be pitched the entire thing. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. I, I have some, I have some uh, additional notes I've written down if it's cool, if I run through those. All right. Let's see. Uh, okay. So uh, there are a lot of boards in here by Chris Williams, who is, uh, very clearly a very brilliant uh, story man. He's the cross um, guy. Hmm? He's the he's like he's the, he came up with he he came up with the character of Kronk, I believe. That makes perfect sense. But yeah, like the boards in here that like I could very easily tell were his were the the dinner scene board uh as well as the cut scene with Pacha's extended family. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna was gonna bring that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I, I mainly bring like we can get more into that later, but like I mainly wanted to bring up his drawing style because like his drawing style is like 100 percent different from this movie. Yeah. I would say like like uh, his drawing style is kind of like a cross between Rob Schraub and uh, Jim Mafood. Uh, y'all can Google those, <laughs> but um, I went to college with Jim Mafood. You did? Yes. How has I this never you, come up? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he, yeah, he, he and I went to college together. He, I'm I'm Facebook friends with him. That's crazy. I, I, yeah, and and also I used to do improv classes with Rob Schraub. Uh, now that I knew. <laughs> yeah, a, a, as in like he and I and Dan Harmon and others of the original Dead Alewives were like in the class and somebody else was teaching it. So, so well, if yeah, you cross it, those two things, you get Chris Williams, you know, yes. those two guys, you know, <laughs> you get Chris Williams drawing style. But Luke Steve, and do you know, Chris Williams. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but like, if, if you, I, I think it's really fascinating to look at his boards for the dinner scene, because like with That's his drawing fun. style, like all of the shots are exactly the way he drew them. Uh, yeah. And all like if if that's his dialogue, I'll, all the dialogue is exactly the way he wrote it. Um, but the drawing style is so different. I don't know if I if I were a director would have reacted to it the same way. Like, would I have been so sure that this was going to translate to the final version so well? Yeah. Maybe I would have. I'm not sure. It's just like like Isma's face in his drawings is truly terrifying and kind of unmoving. Yeah, like terrifying in like not like you know like actually terrifying yeah not like the you know appealing disney terrifying. like this is a good design but like, like but like you know still reads as scary kind of thing this is like oh no this Ugh. is like this is an actual this kind of looks like a uh, space ghost villain or something yeah and then Kronk is like it has like one earring and he like has no shirt or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah try to air out the situation yeah which i have um not, I don't know if he's wearing a shirt because I just see his collar, but I have a mug with some um, concept art and stuff. In there. One of the concept arts, he um, is kind of similar to what he looks like now, but he has a mirroring. Um, anyways, I, I'm looking at it right now, so I thought I'd bring that up. Uh, yeah, there, there's a uh, book of uh, Disney storyboards that, that was like a hardcover book that was released uh, called Paper Dreams. It came out like while while uh, Kingdom of the Sun was in, in, in production. And so there are some panels in there that oh. are that are clearly Chris Williams's. I know what I'm asking for for my birthday. Uh. Oh yeah, if you could find a copy of that, that's that's good stuff. Um, so then they also have the trailers, which uh, 
they have the famous, you know, the one that they play before Escape from Walt Disney, where it's like, in a world where an is turned into a llama. You know, it's Don Fontaine going, one go. And the one that I parodied in my uh, ad for my podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's the Mark Elliott, rest in peace, uh, the Disney trailer. <laughs> it's like, that it, one makes me so angry. It's like, <laughs> it's a story about courage. And it's like, not really. It's more like a story about just like, don't be a dick. Like, yeah, if, if you want to be convinced that this thing isn't a cartoon, you watch that second trailer. It's like, it's a Disney movie. It's like, I mean, it's made by Disney, but I mean, like, no, that's not what this movie is. Yeah, it's like, it, it maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah. like, you know, years later when they did the, uh, the Lilo and Stitch, you know, yeah, kind of, we're going to subvert things by having, oh, here's Ariel and Stitch show up. Oh, here's the evidence. It's like, it's like that whole thing <laughs> it's like if they would have gone that direction with it where it's like this heartwarming and then Cusco comes into you know yes, interrupt his own done. movie trailer that sold the movie yeah yeah he that's what I think what that was I think that well uh Lilo and Stitch also is a very unconventional Disney movie um I think they they the trailers they got the trailers backwards for this um <laughs> so I think Lilo and Stitch is much more you know emotional and about family, like, obviously this is about Cusco finding a family, basically, but I mean, family's like a big emotional, like, emphasis on family and Leon Stitch. That Emperor's Ohana new means no touchy. Yeah, Emperor's New Groove is like, it's all <laughs> focused on the wacky cartoon energy and like the emotional stuff is there to serve the story and that's pretty much it. Um, so, yeah, so like there, I think that a lot of people must have seen that Mark Elliott trailer and went to see this movie and be like, that wasn't it. I wanted a Disney movie <laughs> because I know there are a good number of people. Some of them have, you know, come around because they just didn't know what to expect and were taken by surprise at first. Um, were disappointed at first in this movie because it didn't strike them as what they. It didn't meet their preconceptions of what a Disney movie should be. I don't know why I'm doing a Stewie-ish voice, but uh, there you go. Um, it's like I expect big things from Disney. And, and while I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not going to name who I'm talking about, but I really want to bring this up. I'm telling you about all these big things I'm expecting from Disney. I'm going to show you these sweeping shots from the movie as, and while well, I try to pretend they don't exist, even though I'm showing them to you. <laughs> this is like, story-wise, it's not a big movie, but there's some big, like grandiose backgrounds in this movie um, that I don't think people talk a whole lot about. Um, sweeping shots of like the mountains and, it, when, the, when the light hits him right, just sing. Yeah, when the light hits that ridge just right, I become a meme. Um, <laughs> and I have a shirt uh, with Wait that. Wait a minute, the word meme is just the word me twice. Kuzco invented memes! Oh yeah, I, I, I did that joke all right. Not on this podcast, but like I made a meme that was just, you know, the when he has that his face doing the theme song guy thing and smiling um, and a caption that says, you can't spell meme without me. Um, <laughs> it's perfect world begins and ends with meme yes the perfect world begins and ends with memes um so so yeah those trailers like don't really like one of them is closer to like also the trailer that the mark elliott trailer like spoils some of the best jokes in the movie which like they're they're still funny anyways but like still like you're not supposed to do that um <laughs> it's happened many times so 
It's like the lever bit and like I've been turned into a cow. Can I go home? Which, you know, if you haven't seen the movie yet, you're going to, it's going to seem extra weird, which might make it funnier. I don't know. Um, are both that has that to be way. like such a, a difficult, like tightrope act to walk because I mean, some studios, obviously they test the movies and they ask the people, what were the funniest jokes in it? And then whatever the top, you know, five or 10 jokes are, they make sure those go in the trailer. But I think, smarter places will you know try to figure out okay we need to give people the right idea of what the tone of this movie is and what it's all about but we don't want to give away all the best jokes in this thing and trying to figure out what to include and what not to include the good thing is even though they included some of the most iconic and best jokes um every joke in the movie just about uh is funny um yep (laughs) so it still works anyways and the jokes that they do spoil are funny when you see them again in the movie anyway so um So then we should talk, there's the TV spots where they talk about, one where they talk about, also I believe narrated by Mark Elliott, where it's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, people are saying uh-huh or something, get into the groove, critics are set, are giving this movie two thumbs up, and then it shows Cusco looking at his hoof, screaming, um, <laughs> that got a laugh out of me. Um, <laughs> But then in the second trailer, in the second spot, they ruined it by like addressing the joke, and then it wasn't as funny, it was like, for those in need of thumbs, I was like, oh, but you may, you t- explain the joke. Now it's ruined. <laughs> the only person who's ever allowed to explain jokes is Kronk. Because when Kronk explains the joke, it makes it funnier. <laughs> See, they're piranhas, and when you're hanging upside down, it looks like they're smiling. <laughs> <laughs> I understood that reference. <laughs> so we should probably talk about the deleted scenes. Um, there were scenes... And they were deleted. Yes. Good call. <laughs> so, One of them was very fully animated and colored. Yeah, and not funny. <laughs> yeah. Which is why they cut it. So very smart probably, of them to do so. We should probably talk about that first. And Mark Dino was like, uh, Rodney Fuller was like, why didn't we, like, maybe if we were smarter, we would have cut this out sooner. And Mark Dino was like, oh, oh, I already knew it was bad. I just, I was waiting for all you to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> See, now at that point, Mark Dindle was lying. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, so yeah, there's the scene where they like destroy a model and they like design specific, like the, a general version of the guards and stuff. Destroy like a scale model of, you know, two scale model of Pacha's village. Um, and Pacha sees it happen and it's like very intense. Um, made more so by the fact that they actually got that far uh, into it um it's not (laughs) funny at all really um it doesn't add anything to the plot so you can understand why they got rid of it and it's very dark it also kind of like the 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 overall the overall thing of the of this whole movie is that i mean cusco's a big jerk and you know yzma is obviously evil and stuff like that but nobody else in the kingdom that works for the emperor uh, you know, is necessarily evil. They're they're just following yeah, orders they're just and, and they're, and they're, they're, doing, they're so doing their job benevolently. Yeah, like I get the feeling some of them probably don't like their job that much, but like a lot of them are happy to serve the emperor as well. And like the guards, like the fact work that anybody. For... Oh, sorry. Oh, what were you gonna say? Yeah, like the fact that anybody else in the kingdom would like be happily wanting to destroy stuff just seems so out of place. (laughs) And that's if if I think about like the way that this probably went down is 
you know, they probably had both that and the scene where Kuska goes, we're going to make your little town thingy go bye-bye. Bye-bye. I don't think they, uh, like, the, 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 the cut scene is there to clarify the stakes, but the the bye-bye scene is so effective that it's not necessary, and yeah. it might not have been apparent until it was all fully animated. Yeah, and I've seen people, like, saying, well, you know, Cusco's, uh, Yzma's the real, like, hero, and I was like, I mean, she's a real star, obviously. I mean, everyone loves Yzma, but, like, she would never, like, she's maybe, like, mean and stuff, but she would, like, never destroy Vision, like, or destroy, like, Pontus Homer's things. Like, there's literally a scene in the movie where she says, I'm going to destroy your house. <laughs> That's clearly where I mean, that would be like saying that Mitch McConnell is the uh, true hero of the Trump administration. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like Yzma like is clearly loves destroying things. And that's probably where Cusco gets it from, <laughs> like destroying peasants houses and stuff. Yeah. But um, back to the next deleted scene is all about um, Pata's extended family. And while it does not serve, you know, I can see why they cut it. Uh, I still found it an enjoyable scene to watch. Um yeah, that was something that it it takes. I don't. I I'm, I have a reputation on all of my podcasts of basically liking everything I see. Yeah. But man, I did not like that scene. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's and it's kind of like I see what you were trying to do, but as we discussed on the Escape from Vault Disney podcast, talking about trimming the fat, it's like wow, yeah. this scene oh, yeah. is all fat that doesn't need to be there. Yeah, no, it doesn't need to be there. Like, it, as far as the movie goes, I'm glad it's not it. And I'm just saying, like, as a standalone, like, if it were, like, a short or something separate, a separate See, short in the same universe, I could, like, enjoy it or something. Like, I, I think there is, like, a, a universe in which the 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 Cody from Step by Step character and the and the very loud grandfather character uh, work. But this, this segment, like, like, if they had, if they had... If, if somebody working in this had interest in having those two characters in it, this is exactly the way to make sure that it doesn't happen because this segment is nonstop talking and that's about it. Like there's very little until they get to like the montage at the end, there's very little visual about it. And by then it's too late. Yeah. Mostly yeah and like... as, as a, as a person who's, as a person who's worked in the industry, who generally leans more towards dialogue and talking bits. This was not, <laughs> I did not groove with this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I you think throw off uh, Luke's groove. we were all uh, feeling a bit like Cusco by the end of this scene, um, <laughs> but I do love that. That's the one thing I do. I do love that um, at the end when they're all talking and it like shows them in the different boxes and it shows Cusco. I love that Cusco's face and that draw and that one board. Um, it has a real '90s Nickelodeon type look to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. So, and then there's the other infamous scene, the one that Sting um, made them uh, made them in quotations, asked them, and they said, "Oh yeah, you're right." Um, change where oh, yeah. where uh, Cusco builds the water hill on the unpopulated hill that um, is a real, the very real rainforest. Um, <laughs> so. Does Sting, so, you know, does Sting know about all, like, the, all the trees that went into making this movie? I mean, uh, he I think probably knows about the sun- ones that are used in his guitars, so I think it's more of a matter of, like, not being wasteful than never yeah, using so a like, resource. No, like, oh, man, um, this seems, like, kind of, like, out of left field, having, like, Cusco build his water park when we had this whole thing about 
learning about, you know, to appreciate the humble peasants and stuff. And, like, it's a neat scene to look at, but, like, it kind of throws off the movie's groove and, like, yeah. it kind of uh, doesn't match, gel with the vibe of Cusco learning his lesson at the end of the movie. I'm sure um, Sting absolutely does not know about my extensive collection of The Emperor's New Groove NFTs. <laughs> like, um, Cusco builds his water park. Uh, every, he invites everyone to it. Um, and in this scene, the guards that were turned into animals are, are there alive and still animals. I was always under the impression that they died. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they do scream, no one lives forever before, you know, sacrificing themselves. Yeah, so I was always like, I've like everyone I've taught I've I've like listened to talking about that scene says they die, so I was surprised to see them there. I was like, does anybody die in this? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I, I I think that while it's perfectly reasonable to expect that they died, because you know I also thought so, uh, it would also be perfectly reasonable to go well while a coyote somehow isn't dead. Yes, in this, I know. I and this movie that. is this cartoony, so yes, I uh, think that's what why <laughs> I think it works. I just, and at the very least, the cow went home. Yeah, the cow went... Well, the cow didn't die because the cow went home. So, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, I, I have to say... Uh, I have to say, I never, ever, ever thought any of those animal characters died. I just assumed they, you know, got flushed out the, the, the castle nose or whatever and just ended up it somewhere else and eventually they probably have. got changed back to humans. Like, I'm sure they all just bounced off of trampolines. Because I'm sure it's, it's a cartoon, so it makes sense that they wouldn't die. I just know I've heard people who worked on the film thing, and the joke was that they all fell to their death. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh man. Um, but, uh, so there's like a llama-shaped... There's like, this is a tiny hill. How do they? How does he fit all this stuff? Like, again, it's a cartoon. It doesn't really matter. Uh, <laughs> is that the hill you die on? <laughs> uh, so... He, when the light hits the hill that I die on, it just yeah. Sits. When the light hits the hill just right, I die. <laughs> Those Morrissey lyrics are <laughs> so. And then uh, Kronk shows up with the shoulder injury devil. The one thing missing from the scene that I'm glad that from this ending that I'm glad they incorporated in the change ending is Isma's not it, nowhere to be seen in this ending. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, in the movie, uh, before Kronk, Isma's the last character you see. Yeah, like, I, I I kind of wonder if uh, they changed it. I, I kind of wonder if Bucky tested way better than they expected. Yes, because he showed he because he it's like a supporting character in the sequel, and he repeatedly shows up in the TV series. So I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I mean they they made it a point to put him in the trailer. I think Bucky must have tested super well. Yeah, I've heard someone say they want to see a whole series that's just about Bucky. I was like, okay. <laughs> Well, they own Blue Sky now. We can do like some Bucky and Scrat buddy pictures. Oh yeah. Well, they own the character. They got bring in <laughs> bring in Doreen Green. We can have Into the Squirrel Verse. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> yes, that's what I like. I want like wouldn't yeah like wouldn't like they just be like Kronk and Squirrel Girl just be like best friends? <laughs> like they're both owned by Disney, so sure. I don't see why not. It's almost like if there was a house of mouse, all these characters to meet up with each other. Yeah. Some sort of infin infinite Disney. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, yeah. This is, I want to mention this. Uh, when I went over to Luke's, like, I brought over my copy 
of uh, well actually i like i had to get a new copy because like i went to open up my like you know it's one of the first dvds i owned like get my second disc to watch and i'm yeah. like oh this is missing uh i only have the first disc and the second one is mysteriously disappeared He's um that that's probably it and so i was like all nervous i'm like oh no this is a very important disc to me well, am, am i never gonna see this again and like i was very happy to see how cheaply they were available on ebay yeah. but yeah i walk over to luke's with my with my uh newly obtained old copy uh and we're ready to we're ready to watch that and i'm like hey luke what's that right under uh disney infinity baymax there on your shelf <laughs> and there was like luke's copy that he thought was in chicago <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess uh, because I had bought, like, I, I think I saw it at, like, Costco for, like, five ninety nine. dollars They had the Emperor's. <laughs> <laughs> C-O-S-T-C-O. Costco, Costco. Let's go. Um, Perfect uh, world yeah. begins and ends with savings. <laughs> <laughs> now, hold on. I got to check that receipt before you leave. Um so no, I so I just um I bought the like for five ninety nine they had the Emperor's New Groove and Kronk's New Groove combo on Blu-ray and I mm. guess basically in my mind that replaced the, the fact that I had the the double DVD version and I thought that it was back in uh you know uh in in Wisconsin with my family yeah, like I I'll like kindly Kronk. pointed out that no it was right there I like Kronk's New Groove but isn't that just kind of devious and dizzy to make you have to buy like want it on Blu-ray you have to buy the sequel to <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean even if i would have just seen that it was the emperor's new groove by itself for 5.99 i would have been like oh yoink immediately so yeah. you know i'm here to add value <laughs> this is like like i'm here to add value but also you don't get any new bonus features because we the two movies take up all yeah. of the one <laughs> So you only have the DVD copies, which only have the bonus features from the one disc version. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I do want to say that I'm really glad that this bonus disc exists because this is one of the very few uh, Disney movies, you know, made in the 90s that does not have an art of book. It should. <laughs> and so, like, I, I don't know if it's just because, like, the story of it's so complicated and not something they wanted to get out there that, like, it, it would kind of, like... Well... Make, but then but then like this disc exists so i don't know if they had enough uh art laying around if they wanted to release one i think by this point everyone knows about kingdom of the sun <laughs> because yeah. of the internet <laughs> so if they wanted to do one i don't know if they everybody if, knowing something and disney wanting to admit something are not the same yeah. thing <laughs> yeah i i wish we had like an art of book because man i would look at that all day um <laughs> Even but thankfully, probably, we have the nice galleries on here. Yeah, I've probably seen like we'll probably have seen like fifth, like maybe thirty percent of what ended up in the book, anyways. But yeah, something else to consider though is like we live in a world where on Disney Plus they have both the friggin' made-for-TV Ewok movies, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and now they're gonna put out Star Wars Detours, the thing that we really thought was never going to see the light of day. So who knows? Maybe Disney will change their mind someday, you know? Yeah. I believe it when Schnookums and Meat is on Disney Plus. Um it, well, you know, uh you can ask. Like it's there's no guarantee it's gonna happen, but they have a uh uh request. Buddy, I did that the week Disney Plus dropped. Okay. <laughs> and just like mentioned all of the stuff that I was annoyed that wasn't on there. Uh 
because like I think through just acquisitions, like I think Disney owns everything Bill Cop did for a while. I think they own Eek the Cat. I think they own Magic the Pirate, uh, and then uh, completely uh, unrelated to him, like where's Pepper Ann? Damn it! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that I'm glad that they like change it and they threw Isma in there for one last gag because yes. Yzma is um, at the end of every, like, the very end of every, like, installment. And, like, she's at the end of this, she's at the end of Constant Group, and she's at the end. The last thing you see, you hear her screaming Cusco at the end of the, the last episode of The Emperor's New School. So <laughs> it's always ends with Yzma, you know, having some ridiculous punishment happen to her. Uh, <laughs> and it's a run, so it's a running gag, basically, like, there are the many that exist. Um but spread out more because, you know, not every episode of the TV show ends with this gag. Um, just like the last one. Um, yeah. And then there's the story reel, which is uh, they show you the basically the animatics, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, they also, as I mentioned before, in addition to the miscellaneous character sheets, they have character sheets in the characters that, you know, at the time actually had names because many of the characters that didn't have gotten names later, um, like Rudy, the old man. Um, <laughs> so they have, like, you can see, like, early versions of Kronk, and you can see, like, um, you see early versions of basically, you know, Proto-Cusco and Proto-Yzma, um, basically, like, or the in-between stages when it was probably when it was Kingdom in the Sun. Um, a lot of that. Uh, and there's other stuff. <laughs> uh, there's a sound lab where you can like uh, watch the clip without the, without the music or without the sound effects or without any of or think, I don't know if you can watch it with no, not no sound at all, or if, uh, I think that's an option, and then you well, can... there are like these switch things that are yeah. supposed to work, but I think uh, I think all of the uh, media players now are too advanced for that thing you know, to work I anymore. I only did it like like twice. I did it once uh, without the music and just the sound. That I think I did it three times: once just the dialogue, once the dialogue and the sound effects, and once the dialogue, sound effects, and music. Mm. Um, I didn't do all the possible combinations because it was late. Um, so and there's a slash here before story reel for some reason I don't know um, I think that's the bulk of what I remember from having watched it last night and being tired afterwards because there's so much um, like over two hours of stuff yeah all the galleries and stuff um, would you all have anything you want to talk about in particular that we haven't yet uh, discussed I think about everything that's on my checklist. I'm just super happy that this exists, you know, both as an educational tool and as a time capsule uh, in this kind of like, in this kind of like place that's no longer a thing where it's like, we're animating on pencil, we're animating with pencil, but then like uh, all of the coloring in, is uh, is digital. Oh, there was uh, one scene I didn't bring up that I wanted to bring up about the making of thing where they say, uh, so when you see it's 24 frames per second, every single individual frame is animated. I mean, technically, yes, but I've went through these scenes uh, 
frame by frame and they're on twos. So if you want to want to be really pedantic, <laughs> every frame, well, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit hard to explain. It's a little bit hard to explain to the layman what staggered frames are like, yeah. you know, because, you know, pretty much any animated 2D animated feature, you're going back and forth between twos, ones and occasionally threes. Because if you do it all in ones, you, uh, you die from the stress <laughs> it's like if, if you ever wanted to see the difference like at the end of lion king when adult simba is like he's like walking up pride rock and then there's an edit and he's like finishing walking up pride rock it like starts like the one shot is on ones and then the next shot is on twos yeah you have like a uh, spacing yeah um, but uh it, it's, it's like you, you'll rarely, unless it's unless you're Richard Williams, you'll rarely see an entire shot wow. that's 24 frames, completely 24 frames per second, because it's frankly overly smooth and doesn't it doesn't lend to acting very well. And also, uh, uh, it's physically uh, totally <laughs> physically strained. It's a terrible strain in the animator's wrist, right? Because um, <laughs> I've done it for like a, a like 30 second thing. It's uh, like the, the way it usually works, and definitely the way it works when I animate is that like you know, twos is sort of the basic version, but if there's a fast motion, I'll yeah. do it on ones to make sure it reads. I usually do smears like on ones because you want them to go by so fast that at first glance, you don't even really notice that they're distorted. Yeah, um, I, I guess I guess I should explain that ones mean 